Hi, and welcome back to the Multifaceted Athlete with Coaching Lutz. I'm your host, Kelly Lutz. I am a USGA certified running and ultra running coach and certified strength and conditioning specialist. I am so excited to have you here today. We'll be talking all about running, aspects of running, strength training, and anything else that makes us humans who do sports. So let's dive right into this episode. I hope you love it. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Multifaceted Athlete. Today we're talking all about the DC Peaks 50, which I attempted this past weekend. And in case anyone doesn't know, I say attempted because I DNF'd for the first time ever, which I think I put in the title of this episode, so you probably knew that already. Or you probably follow me on Instagram and you saw it in real time. So yeah, we're going to talk all about I got some good questions before the race, um, talk about the trip out there leading up to the race, obviously all through the race, and then post-race. I'm recording this on Monday, October 9th, so it's only been two days since the race, and let's let's just dive in. There's just so much. So DC Peaks 50. This was going to be my first 50-miler, and for those who are unaware, There's a lot of gain in this race, about 11,000 feet, which is more gain than I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, Not collectively, but in an individual run, you know, or an individual week, I think. Maybe not back when I used to do a lot of 14ers. But anyway, in runs, never done this much gain. And a lot of the gain was in the first um, 75% of the race. So it was front-loaded, kind of nice, but it creates a lot of unknown. Um, One, I've never run this far. Two, I've never done this much gain. And three, I've never done this much gain this early in a race, so I don't know how much it takes out of me. So before going into this race, I already was like, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, it's not guaranteed I'm going to finish. So that's how I felt going into it. Um... Let's talk about some of the questions you guys asked about pre-race. One question was, what was the longest training run that I did to prepare? My longest single training run was 23 miles, um, and that took about six hours when we did it. Yeah, that was the longest one. I did do, in terms of back-to-backs, three weekends in a row, I did about 27 to 30 miles across two days, or like seven to seven and a half hours. So those were three um, bigger weekends and I'll talk about this more at the end but do I think that was enough hard to say (laughs) um did I have crew and pacers I did so my crew and pacers were my husband Ty and my friend Lauren Ty was um planning to pace me from mile 32.8 to mile 37 and a half and then Lauren was going to take me from 37 and a half to the end which was actually 53.3 miles not 50 and I think for longer than 50k distances, choosing your crew and or pacers, depending if your race allows it, is super crucial because who you're with can make or break um, how your race is going. In my case, I only asked a few people if they wanted to be pacers. Um, So mainly, Laura and I met at Endeavor Run and I knew I wanted her to be there if she could. And when I asked her, she was like, yes, I'll be there. 
And that was that. <laughs> so I knew I wanted her to be there just because she's so positive. I love being around her. And I knew late in the race I would need that. Um, I also asked my friend Jess, who's been on the podcast. Unfortunately, she couldn't make it, but I wanted those two to be part of my crew and or Pacers just because they're both super positive and really good friends of mine and would have been super helpful. And then obviously, Ty, my husband, would be there. So he's just kind of a given on my crew. But this year, um, he volunteered to pace because the section, basically, you could pick up pacers in two spots in this race. And one section is 4.7 miles long and one is 15.8. Um, and so he doesn't really run like I run but the 4.7 mile section he was like oh I could do that and that was the part of the race where there is the least gain and it's the flattest so he was like yeah I can do that for you I'll pace you so that was the plan basically I wanted people who I just wanted I knew I'd want to be around and who would make me feel comfortable and I knew would want to support me in that way. So if you have to choose crew and pacers, um, those are some things to consider. Some people don't love having their significant other as a pacer. Um, sometimes on crew, depends on the race. So that is something to take into consideration. I'll talk more about it when we get to our section, but um, the section that Ty paced me, in our case, I wasn't super worried about it, but... Yeah, we'll talk more about that in a bit. Um, another question I got was, did I have any podcast music audio queued up for the race? So going into this race, I really wanted to not listen to anything for as long as possible just to be in the experience and present in the moment. But I did have, I mean, I have my typical podcast backlog that's always there and downloaded um, some of my favorite podcasts. Music, I have all of my liked songs downloaded on Spotify, so those are ready to go. And then I also downloaded an audiobook in case I was feeling that in the race. Um, but yeah, I didn't really plan to use it until I really had to use it. And historically in races, the times in my past 250Ks where I wanted to listen to something was in the early to mid 20 mileage. So I try not to listen until I'm like really struggling and I just need that extra something to get me going. Um, what are your mantras? So going into this, uh, my mantras were going to be keep moving forward and confident and strong. So just some reminders like in an ultra, you, you just got to keep moving forward. It doesn't matter how fast or slow you're going, one step in front of the other. Um, and since this race is very out of my element, <laughs> the confident and strong one, I just want to remind myself of all the training I've done and that like I can do this and I can, I should be here, you know. Um, I did have some imposter syndrome going into this race. Like, who am I to be at DC Peaks 50? Like, I don't really consider myself a mountain runner, per se. Like, if I'm choosing to run on a trail, I'm probably not going to choose to run on a mountain trail just because with all the vert and they tend to be technical, um, they're just not my favorite, you know? 
So they're not my first choice. So how much fuel was I planning to bring? So my fueling strategy was every 30 minutes, um, I have my nutrition alert set in my Garmin. So I was going to take in a gel. Um, the gels I brought were Spring Energy Awesome Sauce, Precision Nutrition, their gel and their chews, and then the Martin uh, gels. So I was going to alternate Spring Energy with one of the other three um, every 30 minutes. So about roughly every hour, I'd have a Spring Energy, which is about 45 grams of carbs. And then the others, the two Precision Gel and Chews are 30 grams of carbs. <clears throat> and I think Martin is 21. So um, my plan was to keep on track with that. And that would be roughly like 60 to 75 grams of carbs per hour, which is a really good amount to stay on top of. And then I plan to use aid stations for any real food I was craving, which usually in races is watermelon, sometimes pickles, peanut butter and jelly, um, sometimes bacon <laughs> if the race has it, uh, Coke, Coca-Cola, obviously. Um, so I was going to supplement my nutrition with the aid stations and yeah, that was my plan going in. And finally, goals. What were my goals for this race? So I was filling out my post-race debrief today, which I have all of my athletes do after they run a race so we can reflect on the races, see what went well, what didn't go well, what did we learn, what are our takeaways. And I had a hard time remembering what my goals were. <laughs> um, probably just because I am after the race now filling it out, but Going into the race, I had I had high hopes. Um, so if you follow me on Instagram, I posted a snapshot of my race plan spreadsheet, which is something I do for all of my athletes who are running ultras. Um, so it gives you an idea of how long it'll take you to get from aid station to aid station, which helps you know how much fuel and hydration you'll need to carry or make sure it's in a drop bag and just give you an idea of how long it's going to take. It also helps if you have your crew there, how long um, or when they should arrive at aid stations roughly in order to catch you, all that good stuff. So my really aggressive goal was to finish in under 14 hours. Um, I was not sure if that was possible, but I was going to try. My more doable maybe <laughs> goal was to finish before the sun fully set. And sunset was about 7 p.m., which is the 14-hour mark, but then dusk is about a half hour later, so that'd be like 14 and a half hours, and then like um, the least aggressive goal, I guess, was just to finish, um, but yeah, so that's what I was thinking going into it, and the week leading up to the race, I didn't, I knew I was nervous, but I didn't feel the nerves yet, which was a weird for me. It was just like a weird calm. So then we drove out Thursday to Salt Lake um, from the Denver area and the race was Saturday. So we wanted to get there Thursday to settle in, have the full day Friday. Friday, I wanted to check out the start of the course because we had a 5 a.m. start, which would be in the dark and the sun didn't rise until 730. So there would be two and a half hours in the dark. So I wanted to run a bit of the start for my shakeout run just to get a little bit of confidence to know what I was going to be running on 
um, before I had to do it in the dark the next day. So Friday morning I did my shakeout and the first mile has like 450 feet of gain, which is not nothing, but the trail started out wide and then narrowed down into a single track. So that gave me confidence because I knew I wouldn't be stuck in a line from the start um, and get like caught up in other people's races and feel like I needed to run faster than I wanted to run, especially when I was I was nervous about running in the dark, especially for that long, because one, it's easier to trip on things when you can't see as well. So I was mostly worried about like tripping and falling in the first two and a half hours. So knowing some of the course really helped me like, okay, and the first mile wasn't bad. There weren't too many obstacles. Um, there were a few rocks and roots sticking up in the middle of the trail. But since I had done that run, I kind of knew roughly where they were. So I felt much better after the shakeout run about the morning of the race. But then I did see that Francis Peak got some snow. So the DC Peaks Instagram had posted that there was snow up on the peak and that we would be going through snow uh, above 9,000 feet, which we were above 9,000 feet for a handful of miles. I don't remember how many exactly. So that made me a little nervous because I was like, I didn't even consider that there was going to be snow up there because checking the weather leading up to the race, the high down in Salt Lake was like low to mid 70s. So I was like shorts and a t-shirt weather, obviously. And then finding out there was snow at the peaks. And we also ran up near Bountiful Peak, which was also above 9,000 feet. So I was like, how much snow is there going to be? Am I going to regret wearing shorts? But I had no other option because I only brought shorts. Uh, so I just started overthinking a little bit on Friday, partially because there was also like not much else to do. Um, but we also went to REI, got some last minute items. Um, I got some different, I did bring gloves and a headband just in case it was cold. So good job there. But I got different gloves at REI that were a little nicer than the gloves I brought, Uh, which I was really glad about because I did wear them in the morning and then later in the race. Um, I got a buff to wear the headband because I completely, well, I saw it last week in Arizona or I guess two weeks ago now and knew I wanted to get it. And then I saw it at REI and I was like, oh, perfect timing. And then some snacks. And Ty was getting snacks and a vest to wear during his section because he actually didn't have one until the day before the race. And REI was having a sale, so it was great. So, yeah, trying to relax on Friday. Somewhere during the day, my stomach started hurting. And it was like, I couldn't really tell what it was because I had started feeling the nerves by that point. But I suspect I had a burrito late afternoon. And then we got pizza for dinner, which is a pretty standard pre-race meal for me nothing out of the ordinary but I don't know if it was the burrito or if I ate the meals too close because I ate the burrito pretty late and then had pizza at like seven something and then tried to go to bed at like nine I don't know so my stomach started hurting um Friday's when Lauren arrived so I tried to go to sleep pretty early around like 9 10 my stomach hurt until 11 30 and I like 
I don't think I fell asleep between those those two hours. It was also a Friday night in Kaysville, Utah, and for some reason it was very noisy on the streets. We were in the suburbs. It's not like we weren't in like the city. So that kind of kept me up too. And then at 11.30, I don't know what happened. My stomach kind of got better. And then I slept like on and off until 3.30 when my alarm went off the, the morning of the race. Um, so I don't think I slept very much the night before, which I tried not to let get to me because you don't always sleep well the night before a race. Um, and obviously there was like nothing I could do at that point. I was going to run the race whether or not I slept a lot. So I was just trying not to freak out about that and remind myself like I got a good amount of sleep for most of the other nights of the week. Um, and it would be fine. I would be moving for most of the day and it's not like I was running a hundred miles where I'd be going for like 30 some hours, whatever. So trying not to freak out about that, but I woke up at three 30 and I had so many nerves. I can't remember the last time I felt this many nerves in my stomach. It took me a half hour to eat a Laura bar just because my stomach was in knots, but I knew I needed to eat something because obviously I'm about to run a 50 mile race, which on the the best day possible would take 14 hours. <laughs> on the worst day possible would take many more than that. Um, so I ate a Laura bar. I tried to eat some of a banana on our way over there. I had some coffee, but I, I just was hit with a lot of nerves and didn't I didn't feel super good the morning of but I couldn't tell if it was because I didn't sleep that well it was really early I was really nervous there were a lot of things so I was like okay let's just let's just get there let's just get going and then things will be better it'll be better once I'm moving so we get to the start we were only staying like five minutes away which was pro move highly recommend staying as close as you can to the start if you have a start that is as early as mine was, <laughs> um, there were, it was at a trailhead. So there were like two outhouse bathrooms. I was in the line until five of five and I didn't have like my vest and stuff on at that point. Cause I thought it'd be a little quicker. So I like run back to the car. <laughs> I didn't have my bib one at that point either. And Ty's like, you need to go. Cause we also needed to check in at the start and I needed to drop my drop bag into the correct truck to get to the second aid station because um, there in this race there are only six aid stations which really isn't a lot for 50 miles and in the first 32.8 which is before I can see my crew there were only three aid stations so sometimes I recommend not counting on your drop bag because like something could happen they could lose it the truck could not make it there but I was trusting that my drop bag would make it there because I was not carrying enough fuel for 33 miles and especially how long the 33 miles actually took me um spoiler alert my drop bag Sarah is perfect it was fine but anyway uh we are kind of scrambling because <laughs> the bathroom line took so long but it was all fine I made it to the start with like two minutes to spare which was actually kind of perfect because I wasn't waiting around anymore and basically I like put my stuff on, checked in, dropped my drop bag, and 
it was time to go. Um, so for this race, I decided I wore shorts, my John G seven inch pace shorts, which are the best shorts ever. I think, um, I wore those, I wore a short sleeve shirt. And then since it was in, it was like low fifties when we started and it was going to be like low forties on top of the peaks around the time I was going to get there. I debated heavily whether I should wear a long sleeve shirt or arm sleeves and the day the morning of the race I made the decision to just do arm sleeves because it didn't feel as cold when I walked outside as I expected so arm sleeves and a short sleeve gloves um and then I wore my topo athletic mountain racers for my shoes which honestly was a little risky of a decision because I hadn't done a long run in them in a while because they made my feet go a little numb the first time I ran a long run in them and then I kind of wrote them off um and then at the steamboat race in August I got a new pair of Terra Ventures but Terra Ventures are less cushiony than the mountain racers and I didn't know if they would be enough for the mountain running I was going to do so I really wanted to wear the mountain racers so um over the past two weeks I've been figuring out how to make the mountain racers as comfortable as possible uh, so that I could wear them on race day. So I ended up using, if anyone knows Caterpie laces, that really allowed me to loosen them enough so that the um, the forefoot wasn't as constrictive and squeezing my foot. I also used shoe wideners to loosen them a little bit at the widest point, which I think helped. Um, so yeah. That's what I went with gear-wise, and I used my Solomon Advanced Skin 12 vest. I used the one-and-a-half liter bladder, and then I had one soft flask um, with the filter head attachment in case I needed more water because the first aid station wasn't until mile 13.7, which is a long time by itself, but adding that with the 6,000 feet of gain, um, my aggressive estimate was it would take me around four hours to get there. It ended up taking around five hours to get there, which is a lot of time to go without aid. So we start the race, 5 a.m., pitch black. Uh, It was actually really great. I don't know if it's because the longest ultras I've done previously are 50Ks, and in 50Ks, they're short enough that, like, a lot of people go out running harder. (laughs) Uh, But this one, like... Obviously, the front of the pack went out running because they're on the more elite end and they would be running faster than the rest of us. But where I was at the start, we started out like really easy running and then quickly like shifting to walking on um, most of the uphills, which was really nice because I was, like I said before, I was worried about getting stuck in the line, going faster than I wanted to go. But like I found the perfect people running the perfect pace around me and then basically um I kind of like worked my way up in the first mm, five miles I guess um just because I felt good and I am stronger on climbs than I am on descents so I wanted to and I don't know if this was the right choice but I wanted to try to go a little faster on this first section on the ascents to 
because I knew on the descents I would probably struggle a little more with keeping my pace up, especially because I don't know these trails. I've never been on them, especially depending on what we had to run on for the descents. Um, and like if you if you've listened to me talk, like descending is not it's one of my weaknesses. If you're if we're descending on a service road, that's one thing I can that's fine. Um, unless it's super steep, then it's not as fine. But like if it's a technical descent, like I really struggle and I really don't go fast at all. So all that being said, I wanted to try to push the first section if I could. And I was feeling good. Running in the dark was actually kind of fun because I just kind of like settled in to a pace and like I think around mile between miles three and four is when the climbing really started so it was like rolling for the first few miles and then we got to the climb and I was just like take out my poles get into a rhythm and just keep going so being in the dark wasn't really that bad especially because there were so many people around me that it wasn't super dark on the trail um, until we got strung out a little bit and then at that point we were mostly just climbing up which was fine um I don't really need to see too much when I'm climbing up you know versus like running on flat or running downhill so that was fine and I was actually talking to Jess before the race and I was like yeah we run in the dark for like two and a half hours so like those miles don't count because it's not light out yet uh so that was kind of my mindset going into that section so sunrise came around 7 30 uh and it was so pretty by that point I was hiking through like an aspen grove and it was red aspens which at least where I am in Colorado are rare we have a lot of yellow aspens um in the mountains but the red leaves I miss them so much from the east coast and it was just so pretty so the sun started to come up and we were running through the aspens and then we got to this trail that was like really overgrown <laughs> um I know the race directors did a lot of work on it the day before but it was quite a narrow single track and it made it hard to use my poles on that section because it would get caught in the bushes um and it was like the bushes with kind of sharp branches so there's like scratches all over my legs so that was a little rough <laughs> Um, and this is when I discovered a new mantra that I really like and will use it for all ultras from this point forward. And that is everything is temporary. So I kept telling myself, especially since I didn't know these trails, um, this might not work if you do know what's coming. But usually when you're trail running, the trail that you're on, whatever it may be like, so in my case, the overgrown, um, it wasn't going to last forever. Eventually, we were going to switch to another trail or the service road. So I knew I was like, this is not, this is not my forever. <laughs> Just get through this. Everything is temporary. It'll pass. It's fine. So I kept telling myself that. Um, there was a lot of climbing, obviously, in this first section, but there were also a lot of descents. So it was like wild. We went through snow at one point. Um, I, I passed a lot of people on the uphills and then... <laughs> A lot of people caught up to me on the downhills and I ended up in this big group of women for part of the section when we had a downhill. 
But then it went straight into another uphill and then I just trucked on, kind of lost them. Um, but it was really cool just talking with, to some women for part of the that section. Um, but yeah, I was feeling pretty good on the climbs, but I could tell that I was already getting sore and tired from all of the elevation gain, which made me really nervous for what was to come. Um, especially after the race in Steamboat, which was kind of a really good simulation for this. Not a perfect simulation, but um, it was the 17-mile race. Half of it was up, half of it was down. I think we had 4,000 feet of gain. So it was a really good preview of like climbing hard for, in this that case, it was eight miles and then running down for nine miles. And I remember how hard the descent felt after that climb. So I was nervous. <laughs> after this first section uh but there was nothing I could do about it I was like we're gonna keep going anyway especially how I was tackling this race was I'm going to at least make it to 32.8 miles so I can see my crew like there is no option for dropping before then um one because it's hard to get off the mountain <laughs> is what they said on the race site um and two, because I just, I wanted to make it to my crew. You know, they came to support me and I wanted to make it at least that far. And plus that's like a 50K. So, so that's how the first section was going. Fueling was going well. Um, every 30 minutes was working great. My stomach felt fine. I did feel a little hungry, which I was like, oh, crap. I didn't eat enough before this, but also I don't know what else I could have eaten because my stomach was so nervous um but that I also used my mantra everything is temporary because I knew that the hunger wouldn't last forever like the feeling of hunger um and then I would eventually get to an aid station with some real food so I could eat something that wasn't gels so all in all things were going pretty fine we finally make it to the first aid station like I said it's five hours later 13.7 miles which was a little discouraging just thinking about I try not to think too much about it, but I was like, oh my God, <laughs> we've like only been a half marathon and there's still like 40 more miles. That's so far. <laughs> um, but it was more so the fact that it took a lot longer than I expected it to take. And I was like, oh, this is going to be very big grind of a day. Like I knew early on it was going to be a hard day. I mean, I knew before the race it was going to be hard. But, you know, once you're, like, in it and you, like, start to understand how hard it's going to be, that, yeah, it was pretty early. So, at the first aid station, I didn't really have much. I had Coca-Cola. Um, I had a little bit of watermelon and, like, two bites of a peanut butter and jelly. Nothing sounded appetizing, which also not a great sign, especially that early in a race. Uh, historically, in races, at somewhere in the 20s is when I stop wanting food at least my past two 50Ks. So the fact that I didn't really want anything that early, I was just like, hmm, I hope this is not a theme. So then the second section to the next aid station was um, about six miles. So until mile 19.8, this was all downhill on a service road. So in theory, an amazing section. You can finally run. And 
when I started running, immediately I was like, this feels so hard. Um, my lower back was really feeling the climbing by that point, especially just like bending over and using my poles for so long. Um, so I started feeling it there and that actually was really where the only part I was feeling so far. I was feeling tired, but I could still run. And then once I got into a little groove of running, it got a little better and fueling was still going well. This section, it was really pretty. We got to see some views because the sun was finally up. Uh, we did see a lot of ATVs on the service road, which was when they kicked up the dust was not the greatest, <laughs> but some of them did cheer us on, which was really nice. But yeah, not really much to say about this aid station. One thing that was kind of cool was the aid station was down. It's like called the Y. So it's where two service roads meet. So we were running down one and I could see the aid station. I saw the bend I had to run around to get there. So that was really motivating, like seeing where I was going and just being excited to be there. So this is the aid station, aid station number two, where we did have our drop bags. So my drop bag was there, like I said earlier, and I had put in it extra socks if I needed them, which I didn't. Sunscreen, because at this point, full sun and I'd be outside all day. Um, all the fuel plus some extra that I would need for the next 13 miles. Um, I think that was about it. And oh, an element. Uh, so I took an element roughly every other aid station so that I would have some electrolytes. And that seemed to work pretty well, actually. And this was the aid station where they had, they were cooking food. So they were making pancakes and bacon. And then they had like pineapple, watermelon, um, little pastry things, peanut butter M&Ms or peanut M&Ms. I really didn't have much though. I had Coca-Cola again, peanut M&Ms. I think I have some chips here. I really wish at this aid station I had just sat down for a second before the next section of the race was 5.2 miles of climbing up a service road. So I wish I had just sat down for like two seconds and taking a pancake to go or something. So I would have more real food, not just gels. But like I said, from the first aid station, like nothing sounded appetizing. Um, I mean, like the gels never, not that they never sound appetizing, but it's not like I'm ever like, you know what I could go for right now? <laughs> a sugary gel mixture, you know? But those were, they were easy to get down because I knew they wouldn't upset my stomach, but like I really think I should have had some more real food at this point because I think at mile 19.8, it must have been five and a half-ish hours. No, it took five hours to get to the first one. Six and a half hours, I think, um, something like that. And yeah, I don't think I did the best at that aid station but I kind of did just want to get in and out and keep moving just to keep moving towards getting to my crew. And I knew there was a big climb. And I was like, I was actually kind of ready to start climbing again after running down for like six miles. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's do it. Whip out the poles. Let's start climbing. So I leave the aid station and immediately when we start climbing, I'm just like, oh my God, this feels so hard. And this section had about 1,800 feet of gain in five-ish miles. 
So, you know, not nothing, but not as bad as we just did in the first section. But by then, my lower back was so tired (laughs) and I could feel it every time I bent over to use my pole. So I tried not to bend as much and like keep my back a little straighter, which helped a little bit. But this one, this section was mentally hard, physically hard, just because you knew you were climbing for five miles. And I mean, luckily, I think we were on a service road. So it wasn't like, I find climbing up technical trails to be a lot more challenging than like hiking up a service road. The service road wasn't easy, but (laughs) uh, there was just like more space to exist, you know? So there were like a handful of us that left at the same time and just immediately started the grind. I do wish I had talked to more people because I think that would have helped a lot in these sections when I couldn't see people I knew yet. Um, but I didn't. So on this section is when I first busted out my phone to listen to something and I put on a podcast and honestly, it didn't really help much. I don't know if I was just like, I don't really care to listen to this, but I, I listened to it way longer than I should have for, uh, it not being super helpful. I wish I'd put music on, but We were just grinding. It was really pretty at this point because we were, there were aspens all around the service road. So, I mean, I'm a sucker for aspens. I'm a leaf peeper. I love fall. So I was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. This is great. Even though I was suffering a lot. Um, And during this stretch, I passed a guy who was dry heaving. (laughs) And I was like, are you okay? And he just gave me a thumbs up and I was just like, oh you're having a rough day too. (laughs) Uh, At this point, fueling was still going well. I think I'd only missed like two fuel alerts at this point, which I had passed through two aid stations, which were additional fueling opportunities. So missing two really wasn't a big deal, especially since some hours I was getting 75 grams of carbs and some hours was like 60. So like if you average it out, it's still, if I missed two, uh, fuel times my carbs per hour weren't low by any means and the stomach was still feeling good which was encouraging and yeah we eventually made it to the third aid station at mile 25 and actually on the climbing section I started fantasizing about stopping <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't seriously thinking about it because like I said I was like determined to get to my crew at the very least so like at this third aid station there was no way I was going to drop, but I was like, wow, that would feel so good to stop. <laughs> so got there. I did sit down at this aid station for a little bit. And I sat next to the guy who was dry heaving and talked to him for a bit. And he was like, oh, how's your day going? And I was like, this is hard, man. And I was like, how's your day going? He's like, well, you just passed me while I was dry heaving. So I think, you know, it's not going great. <laughs> um, and this aid station, I also had more watermelon, of course, more Coca-Cola. And I had some bites of a quesadilla, which was kind of nice. I feel like I should have eaten more of it, but I did what I could in the moment. So this next section, mile 25 to 32.8, this was the hardest section for me. And I was pretty sure this would be one of the hardest sections because this is the point where you have to run all the way down to get to your crew. The third aid station was 
the Bountiful Peak aid station. So we were either at or above 9,000 feet. And then the fourth aid station at Zigzag, I don't remember the exact elevation, but let me check actually because I have it in here. It's about 4,600. So we're descending, you know, how many? 4,500 feet. So I thought this would be very, very hard and I was correct. So this section, the first two miles weren't super bad. We were on the service road, which, it, you know, the descending hurt at this point, like running hurt a lot at this point. Um, but I can run on the service road. You know, they're usually like pretty wide open. There were some parts that were like a little more technical just because of divots and rocks and all that. But for the most part, I was like, okay, this is fine. I can do this. I can run down this. But after two miles, we turned onto the zigzag trail. And this, this was my lowest point of the entire race. Uh, so this section as a whole was 7.8 miles. So that meant we had almost six miles on the zigzag trail. And almost immediately, I was like, this is going to be so fucking hard. This is going to be brutal. Um, so almost immediately, it was pretty technical which I stated before is one of my biggest weaknesses and especially being this tired. So being at mile 25 after climbing 7,800 feet at this point and descending, I don't know how much we had descended, but you know, the entire second section was a descent. So we've gone up and down quite a bit. Legs were tired. Uh, technical downhill, not what I wanted. <laughs> so it was pretty technical. Um, the trail for a lot of it was like a V shape, which I always find really hard to run. Um, part of it was my feet just kept moving around in my shoes. So I would step on one of the sides, which, you know, is slanted down. And then my shoe would just slam, not my shoe, my foot would just like shift down and slam to the side. Um, and with both the second section descent and then this descent, my toes <laughs> were slamming into the front of my shoes for, if this was six miles, the other one was almost six miles. So this is like almost 12 miles of toes slamming into the front of my shoes, um, which is why one of my big toes is probably, it's like on its way to bruising right now. Anyway, we'll get to that later. So technical descent um, and then of the V with the rocks in the middle. So I found it really hard to go much faster than a walk, which at this point was like super frustrating. Um, cause at the last aid station at mile 25, it had already been eight hours <laughs> and then like 7.8 miles isn't a short section. So thinking about like, how long is it going to take me to get down to zigzag? Like this is so long not to see my crew. So I was really mentally struggling through this part, um, struggling to go faster than a walk, which made me more frustrated because then I knew it was going to take even longer if I couldn't move quicker. Um, and then at one point, the trail shifted to just like there's a lot of brush that was um, flattened. So it was like oh, a trail over brush, which was weird. Um, and then back into technical descent. And yeah, this is when I really started about dropping because I was like, 
obviously I didn't know what the rest of the race was going to be like, but I was like, I don't, I don't want to walk the rest of this race. Like if it comes down to, I get to mile 32.8 and then I have to walk the last 20 miles. Like, I don't want that. I, I was thinking about it. And I was like, do I care enough to finish if that's the reality? And, you know, I feel like this part is tricky because when you're in the low, it might be like, obviously you don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and so like to some of you, you might be like, maybe you should have mentally pushed through more or like just made yourself do it. But um, yeah, at that point I was like, I don't, that I don't, that's not what I want. <laughs> I don't want to finish if I have to walk this whole thing, which, you know, it really depends. One of the things I learned is like, it depends what matters to you, why you're doing it. And it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. So that's what I tried to remind myself of because I realized that um, one of the biggest reasons I would want to finish is because I have been talking publicly about this race and I knew people knew I was running this race. And like, I thought about it for hours because this section took so long. And I was like, you know what? I'm the one who has to finish this race. And doing it for other people, that is not a good enough reason for me to put myself through something that I don't really want to do. So that's where my head was at this entire descent. So I kept telling myself like, okay, get down to mile 32.8 to your crew. You can talk to them. Maybe you can drop there or maybe you can make it like one more section and then drop. But in my mind, actually, part, one of the only things that was getting me down this descent was the fact that I could drop soon, um, which, you know, sometimes you just got to use the motivation you can use. So a lot of people passed me on this section, which was also frustrating, not because like I don't really care where I land in the standings, but it's more of like when people pass me on technical descents like this, I'm just like, why can they do this and I can't, you know? So it was like a confidence hit. At this point, you're so tired. You want to be done. And yeah, this was just like the lowest part of the race. So, but I kept telling myself everything is temporary. Maybe this trail will turn into like a beautiful single track that I can finally run on. Eventually it did, which was great. But I kept telling myself, everything's temporary. Keep moving forward. Like, the worst thing I could have done in that moment was to stop and have a pity party. Because then it would take even longer to get down, you know? So, <sighs> at one point, I almost did cry. My eyes started to tear up. And I was like, you know what, Kelly? <laughs> That's not helping anything. <laughs> if you want to cry, you can do it later. But, like, we got to keep moving. Keep moving forward. So, Yeah many hours of struggling on this section. Uh, like I said, it eventually got to like a smoother single track, which was nice, but we like popped out at the top of this hill and you could see the aid station at the bottom, but there were so many switchbacks that it was like two more miles still just cutting back and forth along this hill. And that was one of the hardest parts. So I was like, I see where I'm going and they look so far away but I know I need to get down this hill. And at this point, we were out of the shade. It was pretty exposed. The sun was super bright. It's probably like since we were getting down to the lower elevation, 
probably around 70 degrees out. Um, it's like almost mid-afternoon at this point. Yeah, struggling. Um, but there were some bikers that we saw. One of them complimented me on my pit vipers, which was nice. And they were telling us that we looked really good. And I was like, that's a lie. I feel awful. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> uh, so that was nice. Just like they were cheering us on, which was much needed at that point. So finally, I get down to the aid station to see Ty and Lauren. And I think at this point, it had been 10 and a half hours since I started. Um, Like I said, I was like kind of over it. I even said to Lauren, um, I was like, I don't want to run anymore. I just don't want to do it. But uh, the next section was only 4.7 miles and Ty was my pacer. So I was like, okay, I know how I felt on the last section, but maybe things will turn around on this section. So I'm going to keep going. We're going to see how this section goes and I'll talk to Ty and see about deciding to drop or not. So it was still in my mind that I might drop, but I was like, I'll give it, give the race a chance to turn around. Um, so things did not turn around. <laughs> the next section, there was no shade. It was like 2.2 miles on the trail, very exposed, and then two and a half miles on road. And at this point, like running really hurt. Uh, I tried to run a couple times on the trail and I was just like, this feels so hard. I just want to sit down. Uh, I kind of started complaining to Ty and just like whining a bit, <laughs> which probably wasn't the best. Um, so we walked a lot of it and then I was just talking to him and I was like, what if I drop at this next aid station? He was like, I mean, it's your, your decision. Like, I'm really proud of how far you made it. So if you want to do it, it's up to you. And I was like, do you think Lauren will be mad at me? Cause she won't get to run if I drop. He was like, no, not at all. <laughs> um, so talking to him helped. Cause I was like trying to really work out. Like does finishing matter to me or does finishing matter to me just so I can tell everyone that I finished, which like I said, in the last section was something I was like mentally sorting through. And I just came to the realization like my heart is not in it to finish this race. And especially at this point, like I was mostly walking. Um, like I said before, I didn't want to walk the last 20 miles if that's like what it took to finish. And especially being on this section, which is the least amount of elevation game, is the flattest, probably the easiest to run on in the whole race. And the fact that I was walking, because in the last 16 miles, there's still like 2,000 feet of gain left. So it like wasn't a, an easy 16 miles. So I was thinking about it. And I was like, okay, if I decide to continue, um, one, I'm getting close to the cutoff. There was one cutoff at the next aid station at mile 37 and a half for 5.30 p.m., which is 12 and a half hours after we started. So I was like, I'll be close to the cutoff, which means I'm not going to be starting the 16 miles until like somewhere around 5 p.m. And if I walk the last 16 miles, I'm going to be out there until like 10 p.m. or so. And I was just like, that's just 
not really worth it to me. Like, I didn't want to push that much for myself. And like, if I, if I really wanted to, I believe that I could, which, you know, take that for what it's worth. I'm saying it two days later (laughs) when I didn't push through. So who, who really knows? But like, I think if I, if it mattered more to me, I would have tried to keep going. Um, but I made the decision on this section with Ty to drop at the next aid station. And then actually when we got to the road section, um, I decided to try running a couple more times just to like see, cause if I could run, I would have been more willing to continue. So I tried running and I got this kind of sharp pain in the top of my left foot and it just like got worse as I was running. I think partially because we were running on pavement at this point, but I was like, this, this hurts. I don't know what this pain is. Um, obviously my heart already wasn't in it, but I was like, if it's going to hurt like this every time I run, like I don't, I don't want to risk really injuring myself. Um, and honestly, before this point I had already made the decision. So like the foot was just like, yes, this is the right decision. Like this race isn't worth it for me in that respect. So I made the decision that I was going to drop. So I was like, okay, we just need to walk it in to mile 37 and a half because we, we basically walked these almost five miles, which was excruciating. It took so long. There was no shade. Um, but Ty said once I like made the decision, um, and then I had him text Lauren to tell her that like my entire countenance just changed. And I was like, Oh, everything is better now. Um, which makes sense because I knew the end was so near at that point. And I was like, I was happy. I was content with my decision. I didn't feel any need to go farther, you know? Um, and yeah, getting to 37 and a half miles is my longest run ever. And it took 12 hours almost, which is my longest time on feet ever. So like really big run. I made it really far. I'm still proud of that. So yeah, we eventually get to that aid station and the volunteer, the volunteers at the aid stations were so nice. They would like come up to you and be like, what do you need? Can I fill up your water? Do you need any food? (laughs) So the one guy came up to me. He's like, runner, what do you need? And I was like, actually, I'm going to drop. <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me and I was like, actually, can you give me some water? I'm so thirsty. I ran out of water on this section because I didn't fill up my bladder because I thought that 4.7 miles wouldn't take that long. <laughs> um, It does take a while when you're walking. So yeah. And then this other volunteer, she was really nice. She was like, you're positive. You're 100% sure that you want to drop because I'll, I'll let them know. They'll do it. And I was like, yep, I have made peace with my decision. I am ready. I'm ready to be done. Uh, it's 5 p.m. at this point. Like I said, almost 12 hours. So 12 hours of moving. Wild. Um, yeah. So that's really like the whole story of the race and like why I decided to drop. Basically, if I had kept going, it wouldn't have been for myself. And I don't care what other people think enough to push through 60 miles like that <laughs> when it comes down to it. Um, and, you know, the pain in my foot was a, a nice little reminder, like, 
this could be the right decision for you to make. So that's basically the whole race. Um, what I found interesting was once I like fully stopped, um, the board was updating, like the live times were updated. Some of the people who were following along, first of all, if you followed along, thank you so much. I'm so honored. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate the cheering on for me and everything. Um, but obviously no one knew why I dropped. So I got some messages were like, I'm, I saw you dropped. I'm so sorry. If you want to talk about it, I'm here. And I, I found it interesting. So one, I understand because like you don't know what happened. A lot of people drop because like they get injured or their stomach turns, something like that. Um, and I was the only one with the knowledge that like I chose to drop <laughs> at this point. And like, I don't feel any shame around DNFing, but it it's interesting that like the assumption is that I dropped and I feel bad about it. Uh, and if you sent me a message, this I'm like not upset that you thought this <laughs> or like made this assumption because it's a natural assumption to make. But yeah, like there's no shame in DNFing. And I think especially this race taught me like you need to do things that matter to you and like your why matters. And I was telling Ty during our section, I don't remember why I even signed up for this race. Like I, I know I signed up for a 50 because I wanted to do like the next step in the ultras. Like I wanted to tackle that challenge, but why this race specifically, I couldn't tell you. So I think that just goes to say like when you're choosing races, if you're doing something that is really hard for you, whether it's a new distance, um, uh, longer than you've ever done or running faster than you've ever gone, something that like you're not quite sure you can do, it's really important to, or it can be really important to choose one that like has some sort of meaning for you that you can think about when you're in your low times versus like, you know, I was in my low time and I was like, it's beautiful here. This race is great, but like, I don't have any attachment to this race. Like, I'm not going to be heartbroken if I don't finish it, you know? So that was a good thing to learn, I think, um, especially just like thinking about the future. But I did want to talk about, there were a lot of wins in this race, even though if you look at it on paper, it's a DNF, which to a lot of people isn't a win. Um, but there were lots of wins. So one like I said, it's my farthest run ever. Previously, my longest run was 33 miles, which was actually my first 50K. The course was long. <laughs> um, my longest run ever. So my longest run before this was, I think, my first 50K too, which was 7 hours and 15 minutes. And this was 11 hours and 54 minutes. So almost five more hours time on feet. Um, also, the hardest run I've ever done with the most gain hard trails in the mountains, which like I said before, I don't typically opt in <laughs> voluntarily to run on these types of trails that are this challenging. So I'm just really proud that I made it that far and I did what I did. Like that in and of itself is a really difficult run without doing the last 16 miles and officially finishing. Um, also, like, my fueling was pretty on point. My stomach, the last section of my stomach did start to get a little upset. 
Um, but I don't know if that was more so because mentally I was struggling and I was on the verge of calling it quits anyway. So I like kind of stopped caring about feeling at that point because I was like, I'm pretty sure at the end of this section I'm going to be stopping. So like I don't need to worry about feeling as much as if I were continuing on for another 16 miles after that. Um, but all in all, like the 30 minutes with the fuel choices that I took worked pretty spectacularly, which is a huge step in the right direction for me previously in races. Like I said, like mid twenties miles, I would kind of stop fueling, (laughs) which is not the greatest, especially in an ultra. Um, I also had minimal back chafing with having a full bladder and carrying poles Previously in training runs, when I would carry my poles, like I carried them on the bottom of my pack in some of the the little loops, you know, in the Solomon pack. And historically, that causes my pack to bounce, which then causes chafing on my back, which on some runs was like pretty bad. But for 12 hours of that, I think, well, I guess half the time-ish was when I had the poles out. So let's just say 11 hours of doing that with poles, not 11 hours, five hours, um, minimal chafing. That's a win in my book. Uh, I found a new mantra that I like to work well, that everything is temporary. That one, for whatever reason, really resonates with me and helps me get through. Maybe for some of you, that might work too. Um, and yeah, I, I said my intention was to stay present for a lot of this experience. And I think I did. I didn't, opt out by listening to something for very much of this race at all. And yeah, those are the wins I can think of right now. It's only two days later. I'm probably going to think of some more later, but (laughs) yeah. I mean, all in all, this day was a success in my book. I did something really hard that I committed to. Sure, I didn't commit to finishing, but the finish is kind of arbitrary anyway. I made it really far. I did the bulk of the gain in the race. Um, I did a very anti-me course, you know, all wins. So let's now talk about how I feel after that. (laughs) Physically, I mean, I guess it's kind of mentally. So the night of the race, I was hobbling around like I was so, 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 so sore. Mostly it was my hips, my lower back, and my feet, which was kind of expected, but kind of interesting. I'm surprised that, like, nothing around my knees, because you all know I had runner's knee this past summer from descending in a half marathon, probably, and mud. Um, Knee didn't bother me at all. My hamstring didn't bother me at all. Both of these things plagued me during training. Um, My plantar fasciitis actually don't remember it acting up at all but that could also be because my lower back was the most painful and I was focusing on that more but yeah that's mostly where I hurt my left foot like I said was tender on the top of it um I'm not sure if it was because of how I had my shoes laced or the amount of climbing and then descending or if it's my bone. (laughs) Um, It still hurts a bit today, which is Monday, like I said. So like, and it's at the area where like the, all the bones connect 
the top of your foot in the middle, like right above your arch, which there are also a lot of tendons in that area. So it's hard to say, like, is everything just irritated because of how much my foot was moving around in my shoe while I was descending zigzag? Or is it my bone? (laughs) Uh, Time will tell. So that was that. Like I said, my right big toe is, it's like bruising. It was just slamming into the front of my toes on the descent. And walking was really hard. And then sleeping was really hard. You would think after being on your feet for 12 hours in the mountains, you would just pass out. But um, I was in so much pain that I did not just pass out. <laughs> and okay, I wasn't really in that much pain, but like my lower back it is still so sore. My lower back and hips that it is those muscles you use when you're laying in bed and you roll over. So it takes me a while to roll over and I have to like help myself. I can't just use my back to roll over. Um, And funny enough, this is actually when I ran my first 50K, um, I ended up hurting my back afterwards because I was not the smartest. I went climbing two days later because I felt fine and I thought it'd be fine. I was 26. I didn't know anything. Okay. (laughs) Don't do this. And then like, we didn't really know what it was at the time, but I'm guessing it's exactly what's going on right now. Like the muscles in my back and my hips are so tensed that everything's just kind of like rigid. Um, so back then this was in 2017, it was like really bad. Everything was so tense that like the first couple days I really couldn't roll over the first day I could like barely sit down without help (laughs) um and then I couldn't really like if I sat in a car I couldn't I couldn't um reach forward to the door to close it because I couldn't hinge at my waist uh so yeah it's not that bad all that to say but it's interesting because back then we didn't know what it was and for whatever reason I like only knew about chiropractors. So I kept going to a chiropractor and they kept trying to like adjust my hips. But um, I've been rolling my like the muscles right next to my spinal column uh, with a lacrosse ball. And that this time has been really seeming to help. So I think it's just like my muscles are fatigued and tight, very, very tight. So all that to say, I didn't sleep well. (laughs) Then the day after on Sunday, we were actually driving back to Denver, which not the most ideal thing after running that far, sitting in a car for eight hours. Um, I was still hobbling, but I was walking a little better. And like I said, it's just mainly like my back and hips just feel really tight. Um, And my left foot is off and on achy. So those are my problem spots (laughs) right now. And the most interesting thing is yesterday, once we got back and like, once I've been back on Instagram and like interacting with people in my mind, I was already like, should I have pushed through and just finished? Or like, could I have, could I have done that? And you know, when you're like out of the hard thing and you think back on it and you're like, I could have done more, even though 
when you are in the moment, you're like, I can't, I can't do more. Or I guess in my case, I chose not to do more if we're being technical here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had some of those thoughts and I was like, maybe I should have just tried to finish. Like, why did I stop? I know why I stopped. I am content in my decision and I don't, I don't regret it at all. But it, it's just interesting how like starting to like talk to people and see other people who finished be like, man, maybe I should have done that. Maybe I should have been tougher. But honestly, if my foot is bone related, even if it's not bone related, actually, it, I don't think going 16 more miles, even if it would have like gotten me to the finish and gotten me like, oh my God, you're so tough. You push through so much. Like, I don't, don't think it would have been worth it. If it's a bone thing, it would have made it worse. If it's not a bone thing, it could have turned it into a bone thing, you know? Uh, so that's what I'm trying to remind myself. And also like, this isn't going to be the only race ever. If I want to run another 50, like there's so much time. I'm only 33. Um, so yeah. And now today is Monday, still in quite a bit of pain, very sore. Um, my back just feels like it, it's, it just doesn't want to move, but I'm seeing my physical therapist, Sarah, tomorrow. Shout out to Sarah. She's the best. So excited to see her get her opinion on my foot and hopefully loosen up some of these muscles. I think they just need time, which is normal after an ultra, which I did want to address. So I feel like a lot of us rush back into running after a big race, especially ultras. And there's really just no need. I think that being more conservative will is more helpful in the long run. Uh, so for me, as of Monday, I if I were to run this week, the earliest it would be would probably be Saturday. So a full, almost a full week, six full days off of running. Um, depending on how my back, my hip, and my foot feels, it might be longer than that. And that's totally fine. I'm going to see what my body needs. But I really do like to do the one day off for every 10 miles run. So that would be rounding up four days for me, which it's already been two. I personally don't think four days is enough for me just based on how I feel. So, but I think that's a good starting point, but never, never be hesitant to take off more time to set yourself up later to not have issues. Remind me <laughs> of this when I'm itching to run in a few days. <laughs> so let's see. There were some questions that I got on Instagram after the race that I don't know if I addressed. One was the design factor in dropping, which we went over. Um, what was the most unexpected part and what surprised you? So I think the most unexpected part is how mentally challenging it was to go almost 33 miles without being able to see my crew and only having three aid stations in those 33 miles. I know from previous races that long stretches between aid stations is challenging for me, but this was another level because not only was it far between aid stations, but it was not easy miles between aid stations. So 
it took even longer than the distance would otherwise. And I don't think I fully appreciated how nice it is to see people you know and to have support more frequently and not be so in your head <laughs> for so long. Because uh, that's really what happens in between aid stations. You know, you like get in your head, you're in the middle of a hard section, you're not close to the next aid station, and it's easy to spiral. So I would say that's the most unexpected part. And second part of this question was like, what surprised you? Uh, how much this gain completely wrecked me so early in the race? <laughs> and I guess along with that is when I got down to the runnable part of zigzag, I was also surprised at how much I could still run at that point until until things, you know, went south on the last section with Ty. Um, but yeah, that gain just... I knew it was a lot of gain, but I had no context in my head for how that would feel, and that just kicked me in the face. <laughs> so, like I was saying at the start of this, when I was reflecting on, like, my longest runs, if I were to do this race again, which I have no plans of doing currently, I would for sure train more vert on more mountain trails here in Colorado, um, I would potentially try to make a trip out, like one trip out to Utah, because it's really not that far from us, to train on those trails specifically. Um, that would be like a cherry on top kind of thing. But mostly just doing more vert and then one or two weekends, I would want like really big days. Because my biggest day this training cycle, like I said, was six hours on feet. And... I think I would have just liked a little bigger, maybe like doing the 50k race as I had planned before the runner's knee and the hamstring hurt. Um, so yeah, getting that 50k race, I think would have been more of a confidence booster or like more of a reality check, honestly, to what I was getting myself into. Um, but that being said, like it was kind of nice not having context on how hard everything was going to feel. Like logically I knew it was going to be hard, but I didn't know I couldn't place how hard it was going to be based on any of my previous running experiences. And that can be nice because it was just like, well, I'm just going to see how it feels and what happens to me. So, try I tried to go into it with curiosity and Bully, did I learn a lot? So, yeah, those that's that's the race. Um, I did get a question if I was going to try another fifty or if I'd go back to DC Peaks. Uh, DC Peaks right now is not on my list. <laughs> it's a beautiful course, beautiful race. I if I were to go back, it would be in like probably years, cause I that was hard. I didn't super love the trails. Like I said, it's because of my own weaknesses and I just prefer, sometimes I just prefer to run on the trails that I'm not horrible at, <laughs> which there's nothing wrong with that, especially at this distance. Anyway, uh, as for another 50, right now I have zero plans of that. Uh, first, I'm, I would like to figure out what is going on with my foot and if it's something I need to like worry about, take time off for before I even think about next steps. I do have a 5k in January the same 5k I did earlier this year. 
Um, but that one is like, it'd be nice to get some 5k training in before to try to zoom zoom, you know, but I had a free entry. So at the end of the day, if it's not super zoom zoom, that's fine. Um, yeah. And then for 2024, as of right now, I have zero plans, but it's only two days post 50. I am really excited to just have a break from structured training, feeling like I need to go out on super long runs on the weekends, and just having a little more time to dedicate to the other parts of my life, especially on like Friday and Saturday when I would do my long runs. So yeah, I'm focusing on recovery, um, figuring out what's going on with my foot, and now just like enjoying this fall weather and trying to get back to running when my body feels ready for it, but not rushing the process. So I think that is everything. (laughs) Uh, I will also talk about this on Lifting, Running, Living with JK. We will be recording that tomorrow, which is Tuesday, and those episodes come out on Friday. So that episode will come out two days after this episode. I'm sure JK will ask me some question I did not address in this episode because he always thinks of good questions. So take a listen over there if you're curious. Um, and yeah, if there's any questions that you're curious about that I did not cover about any of this experience, feel free to ask them in one of my Tuesday, Tuesday, or just DM me. Um, but every Tuesday I answer questions all day long on my Instagram at Coaching Klutz. So perfect time to ask questions. And yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this recap. Hopefully you took something away from this. And hopefully if you DMF, DMF, DNF, you also will not feel ashamed about it because there's nothing wrong with the DNF. And usually DNFs are super big learning opportunities as are finishes, but you know, yeah. And just make the decisions that are right for you. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. And that's what I'll leave you with today. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, If you wouldn't mind taking a second to leave a rating and review, I would appreciate it so much. Uh, Yeah. Catch me on Instagram at CoachingKlutz. Send me an email, kelly at CoachingKlutz.com. If you have questions, comments, concerns, anything like that. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review everything you do for podcasts wherever you listen to them. It helps me out immensely and helps other people find the show and just spread my message. And if you haven't already, connect with me on Instagram or TikTok at Coaching Klutz. You can also find me at my website, coachingklutz.com, if you're looking for my coaching services or any of my running programs. And I will talk to you all next time.